If you would, uh, open your Bibles to John chapter 21. Um, I know in the bulletin I just have the entire chapter. Uh, We're not going to read the entire chapter, but we might as well. uh, Because we are going to read from verses 3 over to verses 22. So 3 through 22. Part of me wants to apologize for reading so much. But then I feel like I shouldn't apologize for reading too much scripture. So I'm just going to leave that with you here today. So John chapter 21, starting with verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will come also with you. They went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the number of fish was too great. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and then threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. Although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breaking so excuse me so when they had finished breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you love me more than these He said to him yes lord you know that I love you He said to him tend my lambs He said to him a second time Simon son of John do you love me He said to him yes lord you know that I love you He said to him shepherd my sheep He said to him the third time Simon son of John Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. Now this, he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back on on the bosom of Jesus at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You must follow me.
Jesus wants to say to each and every one of us today that he loves us. And and we have that phrase in our Christian language that God loves everyone. And we even have that phrase that God loves you, and we even have that phrase that God loves me. But I want you to take a moment and realize that the God who we just sing about, all right, the one that created the heavens and the earth, and when he steps down into earth, the mountains tremble and, and the trees shake, nature cannot handle God's presence because it's so great and so vast so big, and yet this is the God that loves you. He he doesn't just love me, and he doesn't just love the person next to you. He loves you specifically. If I had the time, I would love to go through and say to each one of you personally that God loves you. We need to understand That even though God is so great, so big, so powerful, and his love is so vast, it's not lost on you. He has sought you out personally, and he longs for you personally to know that he loves you. Have I made the point yet? You believe that God loves you. There's an old holiness writer, Hannah Whitehall Smith, makes this point. She says, if you were to gather up all of the times that you've ever felt love, that all, all of the most tender moments of your life, uh, times that your parents told you they loved you, or your siblings, or, or maybe your spouse, or, or a close friend of yours, add up all of the times that they have ever showed love to you, and any time that you have ever showed love to another person, and any time you've ever thought about what what love could possibly be, add it all up, you have not even tapped close anywhere near to the vastness of God's love that he has poured out for you personally. And one of the ways that God's love has been demonstrated or has been shown is illustrated here in this passage that we've read here today when he meets with Peter. If you remember uh, what happened to Peter and Jesus in their relationship, just a quick recap, Peter told Jesus, I'm going to die for you. And in fact, Peter, (laughs) not only was he willing to die for Jesus, he was willing to kill for Jesus. He had a sword right at his side. When Jesus was arrested, Peter was the first one. He was willing to go to war, man. He cut off that, that guard's ear. And by the way, he wasn't aiming for the ear. He missed and got the ear. He was aiming for the head. So he, he was all out. He is going to die for Jesus. And when he tells Jesus this, I'll never, Lord, I will never forsake you, Jesus warns him and says, before the, uh, before the, the uh, I forget how many times, but before the crow cocks, um, three, okay, I got somebody up here for me. That's what I should do. I should have people that, that check for me. Um, But what Jesus says to him is before the evening is over, he essentially says, you will deny me. And sure enough, Peter denies Jesus. Uh, Not just denies him, denies three times he denies Jesus. 
and, and leave. So if you remember one of the last scenes that Peter has with Jesus before his death is him telling everybody, I don't know who that man is. And now there's a few times that Jesus, now that he's been raised from the dead, has come back to visit his disciples. But, but notice the language when, when Jesus refers to the disciples. He mentions, go get the disciples and Peter. And, and notice Peter in this passage. What's he going back to do? He's going back to fish. That was the life he was called out of. He, he was a fisherman, and then Jesus said, come follow me. I want you to be a student of the gospel. I'm going to commission you to be a teacher and a preacher. And now Peter has said to the other disciples, he says, I don't know where I stand with Jesus at this point. You know, when he says, I'm going to go fishing, that statement to the other disciples is, you know, Jesus still hasn't addressed with me the fact that I denied him when he was being beat. Jesus still hasn't addressed that I promised I would die with him and then I ran away denying him. So Peter says to the other disciples, I'm going to go fishing. And when he does that, he's announcing, I don't know what else to do. I think maybe Jesus doesn't love me anymore. And if you look back in the Gospel of John, Something that Jesus says to his disciples is, no longer do you call me master, do I call you servants, but I call you friends because I love you. And now Peter is starting to question, I've made a horrible mistake. My relationship with Jesus has been torn in two. I don't know where I stand. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to the job that I was called out of because there's no way Jesus could use me now. There's no way he would want to use me now, so I'm going to go fishing. And the other disciples, I presume, are going with him because they see Peter as one of their leaders in the twelve. Of course, now eleven. But this whole passage, Jesus wants to show Peter that he loves him. And so there's five points that I think we can get here out of this passage. The first point up on the screen here. Jesus will seek you out even when you failed him. Now, nobody needs to raise their hands, but I bet if I were to ask here, has anyone ever felt like they failed Jesus, both hands from everybody would go up. We oftentimes run into that in our Christian life where where. Our relationship is challenged with Jesus. And maybe there's been moments in our Christian life where we have been disobedient and God has called us out on it. And God has pointed out to us, I called you to do this and you did that. I called you away from sin and yet here you are back in sin. God isn't going to let us go and drift away from him. Jesus will seek you out even if you failed him. Three times Jesus appeared to his disciples and Peter was in the room. And this time specifically, he is coming for Peter. You see that on the shore. They're fishing. They haven't caught anything. And Jesus announces it to them. And and notice when one of the disciples says, notices that it's Jesus on the shore, Peter jumps right in the water. And and I I laugh a little bit because that's sort of... Peter has been described as fire-ready aim. 
Like, he, he's the guy that just goes right at it. He gets excited, and he just wants to get it done. He sees Jesus on the shore, and he doesn't even stop to think, you know, we've got a boat, and we're only 100 yards. He just dives right in and goes straight for Jesus. But he does that because Jesus showed up to call Peter specifically. And we see this later in the passage. Even though all of the disciples come to sit with them, Jesus seeks out Peter to discuss with him his failure. And notice, he never discusses Peter's failure. Notice, he doesn't say to Peter, man, you really messed up there. You know, Peter, those whips were hurting pretty bad. And I was being accused of things that I had never even done. And I was going to the cross for you, and you denied me. You want to talk about that? No, Peter shows up to shore, and Jesus says, can you bring some of the fish that you caught? I got a meal for you. And then just begins to talk with Peter like nothing ever happened. And I just, I wonder what Peter's going through at this point, you know. I, I, I'm the kind of guy, don't take advantage of this, please. I'm the kind of guy that if you're an authority figure and you look at me funny, I'm going to break down crying. I just, I can't handle it. I was, I was the student in school. If I walked into class and the teacher said, hey, Josh, I need to talk to you, that's it, I failed the class. She hates me. I didn't get my work done on time. She's going to kick me out of school, and I'm going to jail. <laughs> I would just, I, I would go nuts if anybody in authority ever called me out. And I don't know if Peter is the same way or not, but I wonder if Peter's sitting there like just waiting for Jesus to make mention of his failures, and Jesus doesn't. Jesus knows he failed. Peter knows he failed. They're looking at something deeper here. Jesus is looking past that failure, and what he's looking for in this relationship is, is for reconciliation, for that love to, to reappear between one another. So Jesus, if he did this with Peter, he's going to do it with you. He will seek you out even when you failed him. Even in those times where you think it's all over, he's never going to take me back now. No. Not only will he take you back, he is looking for you to call you back. He's not just waiting for you to walk back into his presence. Wherever you're at, he's headed in that direction to find you. Jesus seeks us out even though we failed him. Point number two. Jesus will provide even if it feels like it's insignificant to you. Now, let me explain that. Twice in this passage, Jesus has provided for his disciples. And twice in this passage, what he's provided, in the grand scheme of things, has not really mattered. The disciples didn't need to fish. They had a job. Their job was to be disciples of Jesus Christ. They were called away. Do you remember in, I, I believe it's uh, in, in Mark, when Jesus is preaching and there's the miraculous catch of fish that they have in, 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 in their first encounter with Jesus, and they, they pull the fish up, and then what does Jesus say to them? He says, I'll make you fishers of men. 
And what do they do? They leave everything to follow Jesus. They leave their business behind. They leave their investments behind. They leave their property behind because they have been called to be disciples of Jesus. And the goal is that when they're done with their discipleship, Jesus is going to commission them to be teachers and preachers of the gospel. And so when Peter and the other disciples say, let's go fishing, they don't need to catch fish. I used to roof with my dad. I don't need to go roof anymore. I've got a job. There's, there would be no purpose for me to go out and put a bid on a roof and start roofing somebody else's house. I've got my calling. I've got my place of work. So the disciples, when they say, let's go fishing, they don't need to catch fish. They don't need to pull their, their boats in, catch the fish, count the fish, go to the market, sell the fish. They don't need any of that, and yet Jesus, when he comes to shore, that's the miracle that he decides to perform for them to understand that he is their provider, that he is the Lord. And, and when he does this, and, and we'll get to this in a little bit about how personal it is, but when he does this, this is the moment that they realize it's Jesus on shore. And then when they get to shore, they have a second provision. Their second provision is that Jesus already has breakfast for them. So they didn't even need to catch fish to eat for breakfast. So not only did they not need to catch fish because they weren't in the business of being fishermen, they didn't even need to catch fish to bring to shore to feed themselves and Jesus. Jesus just says to them, I already caught some this morning. <laughs> you guys were the professional fishermen. I created the fish. They just come to me. Jesus has everything provided for them. Not only did he provide that, he provided this. This is an example of how much Jesus loves us. He'll provide us with something if it's within his will, even if we look at it and think, that's not very important. One example I have of this um, I, I grew up listening to Christian rock with my dad, and, and I bet if I named any bands, you guys wouldn't know, but I'm going to give it a shot. White Cross? Nope. Uh, White Heart? Okay, Striper? Okay, okay, we've got a few people. Awesome, awesome. We can talk later. Um, but one of the bands that I grew up listening to, their name was the Resurrection Band, and, and they started out as as hippies in the 60s, and then they got saved, and so they started a rock band, a Christian rock band. They've been going for decades now, since the 70s. And I used to listen to that band with my dad, and one time, we had an opportunity to go to one of their concerts, but we couldn't get tickets. In the grand scheme of things in our life, it did not matter that we went to that concert. We have all of their CDs. I don't need to see them live. But an awesome thing happened that day. We went to a yard sale, and we mentioned to somebody, oh, yeah, we were going to go to a concert, but we decided to, you know, go and see what, so, oh, what concert were you going to go to? Oh, the one down in Muskegon, we were going to go to Unity Festival, and the lady said, I've got two tickets inside. I was going to go today, but I decided not to. Do you guys want those tickets? Yeah. So we got those tickets and went down, and it was an awesome time. I had a great time with my dad. It was a great worship experience. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. In the grand scheme of things, God could have provided anything else in our life, and we would have been just fine. But he wanted to provide this, and we gave him the glory in all of it. 
No matter what's going on in your life, you may be sitting back and thinking, I don't know if I should pray for this. You know, I, I don't know if, if this is something that God really wants to give me. Listen, if God doesn't want to give it to you, he's not going to put it on your heart to pray for it. And if you're feeling the need to pray for it because you think it's a provision that you need in your life, God is probably calling you to pray for it because he wants to provide. God will provide in your life, and this demonstrates his love for you. Even in those moments where you're fishing and you don't actually need to catch fish, or you do catch the fish and you don't even need them, notice what Jesus does. He doesn't just have them catch the fish, pull it to shore, and then give them breakfast. He then says, why don't you bring some of your fish to me and we'll put it all together and we'll have breakfast. So not only does Jesus provide for them, it's an opportunity for them to then come back and bring it to Jesus. That's stewardship. That's what we're called to in our Christian life. God has given us things. God has provided for us. Even in those situations where maybe we think it's not that significant, God is giving us the opportunity to give back to him when he provides for us. So God will provide even if you're feeling like it's not, in, it's not significant at all. The next point here. Jesus seeks to make things personal in your life. Your relationship with Jesus is not a business transaction. It, it's not just some contract where you sign on the dotted line and you fulfill what you have to fulfill as long as God fulfills what he has to fulfill. No, Jesus is seeking to make things personal. You look at, at his interaction with Peter throughout those three years of ministry. Notice how Jesus begins to single Peter out. And sometimes he singles Peter out because Peter just, you know, says stuff that needs correcting. But Jesus is, is making things personal with Peter because notice, Jesus begins to speak to the crowds. So he's, he's Sermon on the Mount or, or the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. Those are all the crowds that gathered to listen to Jesus' teaching. And then from there, notice how he starts to dwindle things down. And he's not just preaching to the crowds, but next, he's got 70 followers that he sends, sends out in, in uh, the Gospel of Luke. He sends out 70 people. And, and so he reduces the giant crowds to 70 people, which is still a pretty good number. But then from the 70, he prays and he calls out 12 of them that are going to be his teachers and preachers of the Gospel, his closest disciples. And then of those 12, there's three of them, Peter, James, and John, that he takes up to the Mount of Transfiguration and lets them see his glory and lets them see the Father's glory. But now notice who he singled out. He singled out the one person that has denied him. Jesus is seeking to make his relationship with you as personal as possible. If you're trying to hold Jesus at arm's length and not give him everything, I pray you lose that battle. Jesus is wanting to meet with you on such a personal level that even though there's other people around, he can speak to you personally and ask you, do you love me? Will you do what I've called you to do? And notice this, this personal connection 
Some of it starts when Jesus is on the shore. I, you know, he can, Jesus can do whatever he wants. He can raise people from the dead. He can multiply food. He can walk on water. You know, if, if I had that ability, I would have walked on water to the disciples and, you know, just climb right in the boat with them and start talking with them. Jesus could have done any number of miracles to prove to them that it was him on shore and not somebody else. But notice what he does. He performs the same miracle that he first performed when he met Peter. You remember that? Peter was, was a fisherman. We just talked about that. And, and when Jesus is using their boat to preach to the crowds, he then turns to Peter and says, have you caught anything today? Which, by the way, is a real put-down to a professional fisherman. He, was, he wasn't doing it for fun. He wasn't doing it for sport. He was doing it as his livelihood. He grew up doing it. And Jesus looks at him and says, have you caught anything? And Peter says, no, we haven't. He says, well, cast your nets on the other side. And when they cast the nets, the net begins to break. There's so many fish. And now we're three years later. How does he call Peter once again? Cast your nets on the right side of the boat. And I can almost imagine with Peter, as they're hauling this in, he's thinking to himself, I've been here before. I've been in this situation. Who was it? (laughs) Who was it that performed that miracle three years ago? And he's beginning to realize that it's Jesus. Jesus is making it personal with Peter. He's wanting Peter in his heart to recognize that it's the Lord on shore. And then when he comes to shore, he begins to speak with Peter personally. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than anything else in the world? Are you willing to die for me? Jesus is seeking to make things personal in your life. Point number four. Jesus' relationship with you is yours. It's not anybody else's. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is between you and him personally. Now, we have a Christian community that aids us in that relationship. We have a Christian community where we can go to one another and say, can you pray for me? I'm struggling with this or that. And we have a Christian community that offers correction, that that if we're getting off course in our Christian life, we have brothers and sisters that can come to us and say, hey, I've noticed your attitude has changed lately. I, I've noticed that you've been, doing, you've been getting back into old habits that, that God has called you away from. That's what we have the Christian community for. But notice what happens in this passage between Peter and Jesus. When Jesus says to him, you used to dress yourself, you used to go where you wanted to go, but when you get older, there's going to be a time that somebody else is going to take you to a place that you don't want to go. This, this is Jesus letting Peter know, you're going to die for me someday. You're going to be martyred in my name. This is what I'm calling you to. And, and Peter, I just, I love Peter. As he looks at John and says, well, what about that guy? Have you ever had that in your Christian life? I have. God is calling you to do something. <laughs> you don't want to do it, which is probably why he's calling you to do it. And, and then you look around and you think, well, God, come on. 
there are like a hundred other people in our church, why aren't you calling one of them to do it? You know, Peter looks at John and says, well, what about this guy? What about him? And I, and I love Jesus' response because he doesn't tell Peter his plans for John. He doesn't say, oh, don't worry, John's going to die too. You know, you're all going to die, it's okay. No, he says, what is that to you? If I wanted John to remain to the end of time until I return, what does that matter to you? I am calling you. Are you willing to follow? And notice Jesus' statement here. He doesn't ask the question, will you follow me? He declares it as a statement. Forget about John and the plans I have for him. I could will him to stay alive until the end of time. You follow me. You do what I call you to do. Don't let other Christians' lives become a distraction in your life. Because I don't know where you're at. And likewise, you don't know where I'm at. We could look at other Christians and on the outside think, my goodness, you know, look at what they're doing. Look at how incredible they are. I'm not nearly as good of a Christian as they are. And, and that's when Satan can step in and begin to get us down and think that Jesus isn't going to seek us out. Don't let other people become a distraction to your Christian life. Remember, Jesus seeks to make things personal in your life. He wants this relationship between you and him. Others are there to aid you, but don't let it distract you from growth in Jesus. And then finally, point number five. We said at the beginning that God loves you. And, and we can't even begin to understand how incredible this love is. And in fact, your Christian life is all about growing in this love. But it goes the other way around as well. God wants to hear from you how much you love him. When, when Jesus sits Peter down and, and begins to talk with him, he asks those questions. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So, so the question essentially goes, Peter, I love you. You, <laughs> you should know that by now. And you'll continue to understand that love as you grow. Peter, I love you. Do you love me more than anything else? And, and as the question goes on, Peter gives that answer, yes, I love you. And then Jesus asks again, Peter, do you love me more than these? And, and Peter says again, yes, I love you. And then Jesus says a third time, do you love me more than these? And there's something different about this third time. Uh, Oswald Chambers, the writer of the, of the book, My Utmost for His Highest, he points out, that, that Peter, for the first time, realizes that he does love Jesus. That Jesus is asking these questions, do you love me more than these? And the first two times, it, it's, sort of like, it's sort of like when you're singing the song at worship, and you're singing it because you know you like the song, you know it's a good song, and you know it's being played well, and then at some point, there's a line in the song 
that you, you know, you're still singing it with your lips, but now your heart hurts? You know what I'm talking about? Oswald Chambers says that's what's going on in Peter's life. He's had three years with Jesus. He has seen all of these miracles. He has seen Jesus' demonstration of love for him. And now Jesus is calling him back in and, and commissioning him to ministry. And now Peter, for the first time, realizes in his heart that he does love Jesus. And so he says to him that third time, Lord, you know all things, and now you know how much I love you, and now I know how much I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. Steve Deneff, a a preacher down in Marion, Indiana, he made this point in one of his messages that nowhere in the gospel does anyone ever tell Jesus that they love him. Four gospels, three years of ministry, and no one proclaims to Jesus that they love him. Until the end of John, chapter 21, is when Jesus asks, do you love me? And Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That's how much love God has for us. He pours out his love over and over. And the truth is, we couldn't even tell God that we loved him if it wasn't for God first loving us. But that's how personal Jesus wants to make this relationship with you. That he would pour out his love and then say to you, all right, do you love me? I love my kids. And by the way, As long as I'm a pastor here, you're going to have to hear about them. I love my kids so much, and I hug them, and I kiss them, and I tell them all the time that I love them. And my youngest, Esther, sometimes I really have to wrestle that love out of her, very literally wrestle it out of her. And I'll tell her, tell me you love me. No. Tell me you love me, and then she'll cover my mouth. And we'll go through this over and over, and then she'll say to me, I love you, Daddy. I know. But that's the kind of love that God has for us. He pours out this love over and over and over, and then brings us to a point where he wants to hear back that we love him too. To demonstrate this, um, and, and I'll close with this story here. There's a, this old theologian, his name is Karl Barth, and, and he's the, by the way, he's the kind of guy that like the smartest of smart people read, so like I haven't read any of his stuff. <laughs> but he is considered just this great theologian. He's written all sorts of works. He's helped shape our understanding of scripture and theology in the last century, and, and one of the most famous quotes he has is he was at a college and he was giving an address, and of course, when you're going to a college to give an address, you know, you pull out the Greek and the Hebrew, and, and you pull out all of these scholarly notes, and he gave this address, and one of the students in the, in the question time asked him, what is the greatest theological statement that you have ever heard in your life? And Karl Barth thought about it, And he said, it's the one I learned from my mom when I was a little boy. 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He said, if I could sum up all of the theology I've ever learned that had the greatest impact on my life is the very fact that Jesus loves me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for demonstrating your love. Thank you for demonstrating it in in your willingness to suffer and die for our sins. Thank you for demonstrating it in your resurrection that you would share this resurrection power with us. Thank you for demonstrating your love in that you make it personal, that you meet with us personally. Lord Jesus, what we pray for today is that is that we would know as we leave this place that you love us personally, that you have called us by name, and that you call us into a relationship with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you.